winter's woes are frozen. It's Monday, August 13th, Very 2017. I'm Jeremiah Zimmerman, and this is episode 126 of the 5049 podcast. Winter's woes have chosen what you hear back there. That is the beautiful sound of the human voice. And that human voice belongs to vocalist, composer, improviser, Faye Victor. Faye Victor's on the show today, and it is a good one. How you guys doing? Um, I want to first say sorry for not putting up the show last week. Uh, I've been really busy, and I just did not have the time to put the final touches on uh, on an episode before going out of town. And I'm sorry. Uh, I, I want to make the effort to have a show happen every week, and I promise that this will not be um, something that you can expect. Also, I want to say thank you to anyone and everyone who has um, recently subscribed to the show, written a review, or uh, rated it in iTunes. That stuff really helps. And uh, if you like the show and you want to help it out a little bit, show some enthusiasm, uh, please go to iTunes, rate and review it. Uh, it. It helps bring more attention to the show. And the more attention to the show there is, the better it is for all of us. Uh, we're all in this together. So if you're enjoying the show, please rate and review it in iTunes. Faye Victor's on the show today. Faye's originally from New York, uh, or Long Island, I should say. And she's a really interesting vocalist. I first met Faye, I think in 2009, she was uh, co-booking a series at this bar in the Lower East Side called Local 269, which uh, previous to that, it was Meow Mix. Huh? And you guys remember Meow Mix? Meow Mix was... A legendary lesbian bar in New York City, and I used to hang out there quite a bit. I'm not sure why. I don't. I don't know what originally drew me to Meow Mix, but it was in my neighborhood. And when Faye invited me to play, um, it was on behalf of the Arts for Art organization that she was working with, which is you know the people that do the Vision Festival. It felt good. It felt really inclusive. Um, I think all too often in the New York City music world that is made up of various strands of of philosophies and ideas, uh, sometimes there isn't quite enough um, overlap in the different worlds. And certainly, uh, Faye and I, you know, we have pretty dissimilar backgrounds, I would say, musically, you know? Uh, I came up in the way that I came up, which, you know, some of you are uh, kind of familiar with, you know, being a self-taught musician who was first drawn to music through the, you know, the world of hardcore and, and noise and, and metal. Um, you know, and Faye came up in a pretty con- uh, somewhat conventional jazz trajectory. Uh, she came up playing the Black Rooms of Brooklyn, which she talks about a good bit today. And it was, you know, it's a different world for me. And I want to spend more time in my life talking to people from different worlds. I think that's more important than ever. And Faye's got a really interesting story. You know, she's, she's lived all over the world. And she has been moving forward with a very singular sense of, of purpose and, and creativity. And I, I enjoyed today's conversation quite a lot. Um, Faye is a very determined person who works really hard and is putting something very unique into the world. And if you are interested in what Faye Victor is up to, please visit FayVictor.com. F-A-Y-V-I-C-T-O-R.com. 
she's out there. She's working. She's putting out records. She's she's performing. Um, you got to check out the people who are doing the big work. I think Faye's one of them. If you're enjoying this show, please uh, consider contributing to it. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash 5049podcast. You can sign up for a monthly pledge, and it helps to keep the show running strong. Patreon.com slash 5049podcast. That's it. I hope you guys are all doing well. Here's my conversation with Faye Victor. My my thinking is sort of like I, I always wonder if I haven't talked to someone in a while mm-hmm. and I send them an email. The part of me is always like, is this still their email address? Right. But then my 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 go to thing is like, oh, it's a Gmail address. It must be. Like everyone right. sort of ends the update at the Gmail. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I had that that email was basically just for the series. So. Right. And I haven't. Uh, and actually, I still haven't checked it. I haven't t- t- like. After that's something I have to like. When did you stop doing that series? We, I stopped being involved with it. I guess in twenty twelve. It's a while already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was through art. That was through Arts for Art. Yeah. Right. So I set up. That was the. I set up that email, just for that. Yeah. yeah. And so, um. So yeah, and then after a while, after I stopped it, I would check it periodically. But I think I haven't checked it in about two, three years. So. Yeah. Is that was that series like your only experience of like booking stuff on a regular basis yeah, yeah. Was yeah. It pain? i mean yeah it was excuse me was it a pain <laughs> um that's funny um no it was it wasn't a pain i actually i dug it what what you know i learned some valuable lessons but like what well i i, I figured um because it was an experimental vocal series i, I don't know if did you know that series the, i played it that's how, right, I, that's right, how right, we that's were right, sort right, of in right, touch right, i played it once um, da da. Yeah. But um, but then we had Brad. Brad Farberman did sort of the exper- did the instrumental side, and I covered the vocal side. So sometimes, and I think at, at the probably the point you played, um, we were on the same night. Right. Um, and then so I'm not always so super sure about all the instrumental groups. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, um, I think what was interesting to find out from the vocal side of it, I thought it would be pretty successful to have that other vocalists would support. A you lot mean. of vocalists would support the vocal performances uh-huh. and uh, turn out to be not, not, the, not, case. So, not the case. <laughs> you mean like they weren't even showing up for the gigs? I mean, th- there were some vocalists. There were a few, actually, there were a few vocalists that came really on a re- regular basis. Mm-hmm. Really, um, but that was the exception more than the, the rule. Most people showed up if they had a gig themselves Yeah, and didn't really, I mean, didn't really I, support other gigs. I don't know if that's specific to vocalists. I think it's kind of <laughs> the, yeah. the situation with a lot of musicians in New York, especially of the impro- uh, improvising yeah. variety. But I, I feel like vocalists, like, you know, like when we talk about these music scenes, it's sort mm-hmm. of like a, a Venn diagram, jazz, improvised music, experimental music, electronic, right. all this different stuff. Um, vocalists kind of have it rough in some ways, I think. <laughs> yeah, yes, we do. Yeah, I mean, I don't lament about it too much. Right. I mean... Um, you can get into that, but I, I, I kind of, I've, I've, I saw that at the beginning, and I just sort of accepted that that's, that's a fight I needed to have. Well, yeah. I, I guess what I'm, like one of, I guess what I meant by that is, I had a really bad concert experience uh, a couple weeks ago. I played a mm-hmm. solo concert, um, and the audience was just a drag, and I ended up cursing some people out. It was like really not a pleasant situation. But even in that situation where I'm playing my instrument and there's no other musicians to sort of blend into, and I'm having this really 
awful experience, I'm still, there's still one level of vulnerability left in that I have an instrument doing right. the talking. Like, I get right. nervous just talking to strangers, using my voice for that, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's a strange decision. I mean, for me, it was just an organic thing. Yeah. Like, I didn't set out to sort of, be a vocal improviser and uh-huh. sort of make certain statements or something like that. It was more that when I, I started as a, you know, straight up jazz vocalist. It was, was voice your first instrument? Yeah. Well, y- yes and no. I mean, I played guitar a bit as a kid, but yeah. um, it didn't stick. So I guess I, th- I think the first instrument I actually sort of learned or, or tried to study was guitar. Uh-huh. But I always sang. I mean, but singing was not necessarily, being able to sing was not necessarily where I'm from. Where you from? Seen. Um, well, I'm from New York. I'm from New York, but I'm but my people are from the Caribbean. My people from Trinidad and Tobago. But you grew up in I grew up in New York. I grew up on Long Island. Ah yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So but I mean, but culturally, you know, my family or or the people I hung out with associated with singing or or making music in that way was not seen as such a just what you know, everybody did that. Everybody sings. Everybody sang or everybody whether it's for fun or Uh uh, you know, the idea of now it's now the idea of singing or uh, performing as a like an endeavor or a vocation? No, that was not really okay, or not really done. I shouldn't even say okay. It wasn't right. even a discussion really, but it just wasn't. There was no one around me, uh-huh. with one exception. Um, a neighbor who lived down the street happened to be one of Little Anthony the Imperials. Really? <laughs> yeah, which was kind of, which was kind of out, but it was true. And, and um, they were sort of like a local celebrity, or it was. Well, he well well. It's funny. He was. Um, I forget um, his name was Kenneth Kenny Seymour uh-huh. Kenneth Seymour, um, and I think I don't remember what part what incarnation of the group he was in, but you know that was a pretty famous group. Yeah, and um, and actually I found out later that he wrote a lot of material for the group. And when I I started writing songs when I was a kid, that I started to do just organically. Yeah, yeah. Like just, how young? I guess I was about eight or nine, mm-hmm. and um, and then I guess when I was about ten, I had a song of mine that I wrote. I was just in just you know a little music class and elementary school but the music teacher really dug it so he decided to score it and have the assembly sing it and perform it at a school assembly mm-hmm. um and uh and so i used to hang out with kenny seymour because his daughter was a good friend and i would like to sing my songs to him and he would you know give me some feedback yeah but, you know, yeah just you know just you know kid to grown up you know sort of grown up uh but like, like a parent like oh that's really nice keep doing that fair or like hey you know what might that might make that a little more interesting would be to but but like which well i think he he would uh nothing's nothing sort of concrete yeah. or really tangible but but then but he what he would say was that um he thought i could sing and i had talent and i definitely should keep on yeah keep on writing and and keep on um yeah, just keep on, you know, experimenting with whatever. But he didn't sort of like pull me aside, like you know, you should read. You know, it wasn't it wasn't like that. And then the other weird thing was um, another school friend. Her father was Gary U.S. Bonds. Who's that? Gary U.S. Bonds. He had like a hit song in the sixties. He was like a sixties sort of crooner, doo wop singer. And he, um, uh, and they lived they lived on another on the block next. So there were these people around. And then and then strangely enough, I lived. Literally ten minutes from Coltrane's house in Dix Hills. Yeah, because I lived in a community right right next to Dix Hills. I grew up in that community. So, wait, but I but I didn't know who that was, which which is which I yeah. But when you're living awful. that close to like the home and workspace of a giant of that magnitude, like you'll feel it. I I think. 
maybe I felt it, but I didn't know it was it existed, and that was I, I feel like. But how shortly after he passed away did the family leave that house? I don't know because he passed away in sixty seven. Sixty seven, right? yeah, July. Right. I'm not sure, but we moved there in the seventies, so yeah. Um, not that long after, and it wasn't talked about. And this, you know, I I grew up around the corner from Kay Leander Williams. Do you know Kay, no. Kay Leander Williams? Is a he was a writer. He was writing a lot for like Time Out in New York uh-huh. and uh, um, um, a jazz writer. Um, and he and and he's a couple years younger than I am, but we grew up around the corner from each other. Yeah. And then what, the other, what, what, what are you? What are your parents still around? No, my parents aren't living anymore. Gone. But um. Uh, but my my mom worked for um, AT and T or was Ma Bell at the time. Ma Bell, Ma Bell, yeah. Um, and I don't remember what his parents did, but the but it's just really funny. We had this uh, there were these people around that turned out to be pretty significant. I even lived around the corner from Makanda McIntyre, who mm-hmm. was a well known, um, actually one of the first uh, jazz musicians to have a PhD. I think he was teaching out at either Fordham or at Adelphi on mm-hmm. Long Island. And uh, his son, like his younger son, is my age, and we we were in school together. But I had no idea who he was. I've even been in their house, but I had no idea. Yeah, who he was. So that that, that I feel like there's is a uh, sort of unfortunate. <laughs> right. Well, I, I feel like I don't know if it's coincidence or if it's just like you, if you're not paying attention to who's around you. Like mm-hmm. I, my, when I was a little kid, you know, Laraji. No. Laraji was my babysitter. Laraji is like this amazing like early early improviser of like electronic ragas and crazy shit really and he was just Laraji. he was just the guy that would babysit me that's so cool <laughs> yeah so wow. I, I mean I, f- I feel like people you know if you are aware that that people do interesting things you know you talk to anyone yeah you're gonna find out something that i don't know maybe not well i don't know I, it was just you know you know in, in hindsight most of these people were just like adults yeah and some of them i had you know, some camaraderie with, like, for example, Kenny Seymour and others that didn't, in the case of Makanda. But it's just kind of interesting to find out now as an adult how, like, how important these people these people were. Yeah. Yeah. And and, um, and, and you feel like you were. got stuff from them? Well, well, certainly from Mr. Seymour, yeah. yeah. Kenny Seymour, yeah. Because we actually talked a lot. And um, and he was just, he was also fun. He was like one of those parents, you know, some of your friends have parents who are like, oh. Uh-huh. But <laughs> yeah. But he was actually one of those parents that, that you liked hanging out and if he was right. there, you know, he was always fun. So um yeah, so in that sense getting something and just it was kind of cool that somebody like that, you know, even took any interest at all to even mm-hmm. comment on anything. And he would like ask about it, follow up and like, you know, are you writing anything? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, when did you first start making music with other people? Uh, in a serious way, or well, just for fun? I mean, you know, hey, I got this idea. You know, play this on the bass. You know, and you kind of start. Yeah, well, that, I I was doing that as a kid, actually. Yeah. yeah. But the funny thing, you know, when I was doing that as a kid, it was just for fun. It was really for fun. Yeah. The idea, and I th- I thought I had a little bit of a talent as as a songwriter, and I was growing up. This is like sort of late seventies, early eighties, which is a real singer songwriter. I would say in American music, a really Absolutely. good time across the spectrum. You know, you know, whether you're talking about like Motown or yeah. whether you're talking about Joni Mitchell or you know, like there's and, a oh, just you know Crosby, Stills and Nash. I mean, there yeah. was just so many great songwriters, people that really were just into the craft. I like, like I really love Paul Simon and yeah, Randy Newman and people like that. So yeah, just people really into the craft of writing a good song. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of uh, examples. It was everywhere. Of, yeah, yeah. So which which is really cool and and um, so but. But again, it was just for fun. It was nothing. I was never was never something I wanted to do as a career or anything like that. Yeah, 
But did you? But even though it was just for fun, mm -hmm. I mean, how intensely were you getting into it? Were you learning how to read music and write music? And... Um, to a certain degree, and then and then I stopped. Then yeah. I kind of stopped, and I got into dance. So I danced for a lot of my teenage years. Yeah. Modern. Modern and and jazz and yeah. tap and African also yeah. a little bit of ballet yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so, and, and I also choreographed with another friend we also choreographed a lot of dances we had a, we formed a group and I mean it sounds yeah. like a nice upbringing a lot of yeah I mean, creative you know, activity yeah yeah which was cool how was Long Island well you know yeah <laughs> that's like no one ever has like a, a different answer to that question I mean you know. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was it was good to grow up in a place where, as a kid, you kind of felt kind of free, you know, you can... You mean because there was outdoors and yeah, stuff? Yeah, you know, we had a yard, you know, hopefully yeah, we have a yard, you can just run out into the street, yeah. you know, if you go hang with your friends, it's not like uh, no one's... And also, it was an era, it was, it's a really interesting era, people, parents were so afraid, I think. That's true. You know, uh, if you were gone, I mean, you know, my mother was pretty strict. I mean, for parents at that of that period, but I think that's more the, the Caribbean aspect of of, of uh, than just being strict. But I, I feel like if I if I think about some of just like general memories of childhood, especially now that it's summertime, it would be six thirty. You would start hearing the parents screaming for their kids. You know, because yeah, we'd yeah, all be yeah. out like rats, right? Right. And then right, you know, as right. dinner time was approaching, you would hear the parents all screaming for their kids. Is it right. like that still? I don't hear that any. I don't hear that. I mean, I, I mean, I live on a pretty residential block too. I mean, I yeah. live on a block of brownstones, pretty much. Right. And there's a lot of kids, and I don't hear that. I don't hear that. Yeah, that's funny. Or know? I think about like I never sat in a, like a car seat in a car. No. I never used a no, seatbelt. No, no. My parent, my mom would smoke in the car. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was kind of in a way like I'm sure a lot of people would say that's just like a really irresponsible culture, but it was kind of. I don't. So I think I think you had to as a kid. Well, I think you you got to figure stuff out more as a kid. I, yeah. I worry. I mean, I don't have kids myself, but I kind of worry that a lot of kids don't really know how to figure things out. You know, or might right. not know. Do you have siblings? Yeah, I have a sister. Yeah, yeah, and but she doesn't have kids either. But I but I I find that um that that would be if you didn't have the chance to explore. How do you know how to answer your own questions? You know. Yeah, and you teach each other shit. Like, yeah. Even if it's really like. I remember one time my brother and I found um, in the woods, we found uh, like a, a, like an aerosol spray mm -hmm. paint can and we set it on fire and it exploded. Uh, and like we did some pretty severe damage and, you know, the paint got in our hair. I learned not to not to do that. Mess with fire. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, that you were really old then to have learned not to mess with fire at that point. We were like oh, six oh, or seven. Oh, eight. six or seven. Okay, yeah. Wow. Like dumb kids doing okay. things they shouldn't be doing. Wow. Yeah. Well, the aerosol, the aerosol is, is, is you know, because that's like a, that's a new dynamic to the whole fire thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, don't really, you don't really know it immediately that it's going to explode. Right. And then, you know, you say, oh, okay. And then, yeah. Then it does. So yeah. did you go to school for music performance, vocals? No, that's, I'm, I'm self taught. I'm yeah, not an autodidact. Oh, oh, great. Yeah. I feel like I live in a like all of my friends are professors. <laughs> professors, them, pretty much. All yeah. of, a lot of my musical friends are yeah, yeah, yeah. Are professors, um, including the one you you got interviewed just right. <laughs> yeah, he's... so you know what I'm saying. So yeah. sorry, I get. But um, no, I'm 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 self-taught, and and uh, and I have to say, I I like it. I like it because I I don't well for better or for worse, I don't sound like anybody else. Right, and but. Uh... 
did you go through at any point a period of feeling like self-conscious about it or feeling like oh, I can't do things these other people can do or oh yeah well you know the um I lived in I lived in the Netherlands for about eight years what brought um, you in? well the fact that I I didn't so when I started to sing when I started when I made the decision to become a musician uh-huh. I was ready in my early 20s so um, I felt I was way behind the curve. Yeah. And um, so, and I started, you know, I started right here in New York City, which is not a really good place. It's not the easiest place. To start. Right. <laughs> becoming a musician. Yeah. Um, and, and fortunately, I didn't, I didn't, uh, um, I wasn't sort of uh, too self-deprecating about it. I just realized, okay, um, it's hard. Uh-huh. Um, but I thought I could be good. You know, I could have had the potential to be good, but I had to figure out how I could work. And there were a couple of options: either go to school, go back to school for for music, or but at that time, it wasn't really cool. I mean, like you know, old school jazz that was not like right. cool. Right. I, I right, forget right. about even being cool. It wasn't really the way you really learn. No, you learn on the bandstand. You learn, you learn on, in exactly. sessions. You learn by being humiliated. You, you exactly. Know, all, <laughs> exactly. All this stuff. Uh, you know yeah. exactly. So so I was still in that zone and. Right. And also, I, I came out, you know, when I started, I really started in, within the black community, which was really um, still extremely um, focused on you learn on the Wait, In the black community, meaning? Meaning my, the people I sang with or performed with and performed in front of were pretty much, were, were, were black, were black. But does that mean like, like the Lennox Lounge on 125th or does it no, mean? No, no, I started in, in Brooklyn because I started this workshop. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Maybe that sounds weird to say. I don't even. Sound, you started I what? I don't know if it sounds weird to say that I started within the black community, but it 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 matters. It does it's, matter. It's important because it absolutely um, is. It's a tough audience. Yeah. That's a really tough audience. So if if you're making any kind of headway with a with a black audience, then you're doing, you're doing something. something right. Yeah. So um so that was where I started, and that was also an audience that was really, um really busy with the tradition of the music for 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 good we're talking about about jazz music we're talking about jazz yeah yeah yeah. i'm talking about jazz because when i started out um yeah i started out singing standards of great american songbook and the people that i worked with i mean right out of the box i worked with a pianist by the name of uh, jimmy siegler i don't know if you know Uh, that name mm. but jimmy siegler um was actually the last accompanist of dinah washington oh wow so and um and his his brother was bunny siegler who did a lot with the philly sound and okay gambling huff and they worked with people like Phyllis Hyman, right? And, um, deep, deep ties. Yeah, I mean, so, so, so that was a person. I kind that was the first sort of accompanist I sort of started working with, in a serious way. So, so they had a very, very strong, stern idea about being in the tradition, honoring the tradition, mm-hmm. which meant you educate yourself on the bandstand in contact with musicians that, as you move up the chain, respect you more and more for what you're doing. So, mm-hmm. um, so. To go back to going to Amsterdam, so when I figured all this out, and then and then I got lucky. I got a three month gig in Japan, in a hostess bar, which was really awesome. Wait, as a singer, as a singer, and uh, <laughs> which was the the most awesome thing ever. Um, in Tokyo? No, it was in a, a ti- which was better too. It was yeah. in a tiny town, well, a Japanese town of a million people, right? Called uh, Fukui City, and I had the amazing luck to have with me. Um, Bertha Hope, the great Bertha uh-huh. Hope on piano for three months. Yeah, yeah. As a budding, it was my first gig, like sort of serious gig, and uh, it was it was amazing. I had they gave us an apartment. We shared the apartment, big apartment. We shared the apartment. She was like a source, like an amazing source of information and 
and and support and and it was uh, just the two of you performing. It was just the two of us, and yeah. we would do this, this this gig, and then we um, and then I just took the episode. I just learned a lot. So once a week we'd go in in the day, and we just like learn a bunch of tunes, and we just work out stuff, work out arrangements, yeah. and it was just it was just amazing. And at that point, at that time, she was with uh, Walter Booker, uh-huh. who uh, at that point was the was the um, bassist in Nat Adderley's quintet. Okay. And uh, so, I mean, I got to meet Nat What year is this? I'm talking, this is early 90s. Yeah. Like 91. Uh-huh. And um, so that was, so that trip with Bertha um, made me decide, yeah, this is what I wanted. This is what I wanted to do. So now I went from singing maybe three or four gigs a year to now doing uh, six gigs, you know, six uh, six nights a week. Yeah. And so, and so the the learning curve and the and the whatever I was able what I, I was able to do with it was just tremendous. So it was clear I have to work. Yeah, I have to figure yeah. out a way to work. And and Europe turned out to be. Um, uh, so wait, how did decision. you get from Japan to the Netherlands? <laughs> well, I came back home first. Uh, you said I'm gonna go back home and take New came, York came, by storm. Yeah, <laughs> I came back home first and figured out. Um, well, I you know I did more gigs in New York and I got out and I got better. It's hard to get. Where some, were the first gigs in New York? A place called Dean Street Cafe, little restaurants, uh-huh. but Dean Street Cafe was pretty Brooklyn. important in Brooklyn, yeah. yeah, because I think M Base did a lot there, and right. um, people like Antonio Hard. And were um, you around the M Base people? No, I mean I kind of started a little bit later, but but the guy who booked the club, I forget his name now, he was really picky with singers. Like he hardly booked singers, so he gave me when. So when he gave me a gig, yeah, then I was like, okay, that's something. That's yeah, that's like okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, it was also the kind of kid gig. It was just a restaurant gig, but it paid something, and there was always people there. Yeah, it was always. Uh, I don't know if you were hanging in New York at that time, but so those gigs, and then um, I'm trying to think. That was probably the most well-known venue I think at that time uh-huh. that I was doing sort of on a somewhat regular basis. And um, and there was a place called oh God in the in the East Side in the sixties. His name just escapes me. Sign of the Dove. Huh. I don't know if you remember that place. Uh-huh. And oh, Fez Cafe. Oh yeah, Fez. Yeah, Time Cafe. I used yeah. to do that series. It was a series um, that she used to have. Uh, it was a house band, and she'd have singers. And I used to I used to do that. before I moved to Europe. I did that series. Okay. Um, so things like that. And uh, but I mean, you know, you know how New York is. You know, especially when you're starting out. You know, it's you hard. might do gig. Once every two months, three months, if you're lucky. If you're lucky, right? You know, and if you get some restaurant gigs, so it was, it was tough. And so, but the interesting thing was, um, that's why I, I, you know, and that's one thing music has really taught me about following your gut. And a lot of people started to say to me once, you know, and said, you know, you have a nice voice, you have a nice presence, blah blah blah. Why don't you go to places like somewhere like London or Paris? And okay, how am I going to do that? But what was that recommendation based on? Like you could be you know, a big on, fish in a small pond kind of thing. Well, well, more than the idea that there's a lot of gigs. Like I yeah. had some friends at that point that were working in Paris and working in London. I mean, you know, back and forth, not sort of living there and working, but just sort of working. And and so that was their recommendation. But for me, that didn't. That, I felt weird. I said, "This sounds. Why would I just go to some, you know, strange city?" Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Right. <coughs> I have a. I should have warned you. I have a little cough. Oh, it's okay. Why should I go to some strange city and just sit into some arbitrary jet? It just doesn't, yeah, 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 that doesn't yeah. sound really smart. Um, so I thought, well, the better idea would be to try actually meet somebody connected to a place that I might want to go and see what can happen there. At least I have some background as to what I'm getting into. 
so long story short, I met a guy, uh, um, and we were just friends. Just we were friends. Uh-huh. We were just friends. Um, a- a African American guy who was a jazz vocalist from Detroit, and he lived in Amsterdam. Uh-huh. And we met in a very strange, strange way. Um, we, me and a bunch of friends were coming. We were we were uh, going to a bunch of jam sessions, and we were coming from a jam session, and where the guy was a complete asshole. I know this is a, I'm allowed to curse. Yeah, yeah fuck you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So complete asshole. So we were like Wait, pissed off. Yeah. We were just pissed off. He was just totally ignoring us. And we ended up in this other club and and we walked in the club and it was all the tables were taken up. It was like five of us. And we were get we were pissed off again. We walked out and there was one guy sitting at a table by himself. And he he saw us getting ready to walk out. So he jumped up and he said, Hey, I'm I'm here by myself. Why don't you guys take the yeah, table yeah. and I'll go sit at the bar? And we were like, I mean, it was such a nice gesture. Sure. Like, you can't be from New York. <laughs> like, you can't. So that just made us stop. Like, yeah. you know, that just changed our whole mood and, and start talking to him. And it turns out, and uh, it turns out that yeah, he was he was a singer who was living in Amsterdam. Uh huh. And his wife was a textile designer, so he was just in New York for a while. And that's how I mean, met him. We became great friends, and he was pretty instrumental in getting me to go to Amsterdam. But what was the what was the idea in going to Amsterdam? Well. Um, we just start, that day when we met, we just started talking, and I said, and he said, when he told me that you know what, what was his situation, and I said to him, I said, you know, I've been dying to get to Europe to work, and people have been saying great things about it, but you know, like I told you, like I'm uh-huh. saying to you, but I didn't like the advice. I said, people, I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't opposed to the move. I just didn't like the advice I was getting about yeah. it. Yeah. And then he started to talk about it. And he said he was doing really well. He said he was driving a Mercedes, and he's. He, you know, pretty much works as a singer. And, right. And I was like, oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. And then we just became friends, and he came and hung out and checked out, you know, some gigs I had. And he thought, he said, you know, I thought you'd be, thought I'd be pretty good, and he thought I could do well. And then he just, he literally just helped me. Yeah. He, yeah, we just became friends, and he just helped me. And and he, I went to Amsterdam just to hang out for a few weeks, and he took me to all his gigs, and I sat in on all the gigs, and that generated a really nice tour about a year later is this someone you're still tight with yeah we're still he's he's back actually he's back in detroit now who is it his name is ingram washington okay yeah 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 and um he's old you know he's not performing anymore but no he was he was amazing he was just it was like one of just 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 generosity i mean he didn't you know he didn't even want any money for it because he had a manager and the manager sort of helped him yeah and i gave her like a percentage of the especially of the second tour but and what, um, and what did you like about, I mean, outside of the gigs and stuff, what, did, what about Amsterdam? Oh, man. You? Have you been to Amsterdam? I've not been to I've been to the airport. I've. Oh, man. Well, I was, I was single at the time, uh-huh. and I felt, I, I remember that first time I went there, I was there for three weeks, and I just felt so at ease there. Like, I just felt, you know, I was hanging out a lot by myself, and... I mean, in, even in New York, I was used to hanging out, if, even by myself, till three a.m. in the morning. You know, from mm. I was, and I've never been like afraid, like yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but there, I just felt really free. Like I just felt like you know, safe to, uh-huh. um, to be out checking out music, to be alone, and it just and and um, I, I like I love the Dutch pragmatism, which. Uh, like everyone's on time and everyone. <laughs> well, no, not so much uh, on time. It's just people. They're just very pragmatic. You yeah. know, they're not. Um, they're not they're not wrapped up in morals like you know i just you do, and it's easy to meet it was easy to meet people yeah it's easy to talk to people people speak english pretty freely um the city is very easy to navigate and i just yeah i just i just liked it i don't know i, I and it was a i could have used a change of scenery so so from that that standpoint and then the opportunity to work 
Yeah. I mean, you know, I was able to get a tour as as a, as a nobody, mm-hmm. essentially, to get a tour like thirteen gigs. That, yeah. You know, um, within a year, like you didn't know. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're here, no way. Right. So 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 that was the, the that was um that was great. And yeah. um and then then you know I was back and forth for a couple of years. Went and then made a decision. Okay, this would be a good place to live for a while. And and what was going on with you musically, as far as you know, how how quickly was your your view and your interest? Like, how quickly were they expanding into? At that point, it was just figuring it out. It was yeah. just all figuring it out and just trying to work to see what was actually there. Because you know, in my mind, you know that I guess that's the interesting thing. But by being self taught, there's no, you don't have a clear vision. At least, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't. I didn't have a clear vision as to what I wanted mm-hmm. to do. But what I did know is I had something to say that mm-hmm. I that I knew for sure. I just didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I had to figure that out. And so, and that took a while. So, like now, when I talk about my 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 time in the Netherlands, I kind of see it as like a woodshedding period. Like it was, it was a period sure. where I really just immersed myself. I found myself. When you before you got there, did you have any awareness of the ICP? No. Right. Absolutely none. Right. None. None at all. And and uh I didn't even even know who Misha Mengelberg was. Right. Yeah. I mean I really came out of the tradition. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I was still listening to basically everybody, um, up until I guess at that point up until like Miles and maybe Betty Carter. And then it just Yeah, I mean more or less. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh and then when I moved to the Netherlands, that was a whole other education. You know, just sort of opening up of uh musical uh, just expanding the whole idea yeah. of music altogether. Was um, how instrumental was some, was Misha Mengelberg in that? Well, well, Misha Mengelberg later on became a mentor, but yeah. at the time I didn't know who he was. And right. when I started to get an idea of who he was, it was pretty. You know, he loomed pretty large. Yeah, yeah, he loomed pretty large there. But on a personal level, when I got to know him, he's actually was was well, he, he's gone now. Yeah, um, he was actually really sweet which he probably would not appreciate really about him but he was very sweet yeah 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 very soft-spoken very um um yeah just uh at at least to me but i but he he can be very sweet like michael moore said it i I know you know i'm pretty sure you know know, yeah i I don't know him personally but of course i know Um, michael moore we we sort of we had some email exchanges after misha died and one of the things michael moore said about misha which i think really really sums up Misha very well is he had this way of helping you out tremendously without meaning to help you at all. <laughs> That's pretty great, actually. Yeah. yeah, he really had that uh, yeah. that ability. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so did you, how quickly were you making like real musical connections while you were there? Well, I mean, in general, pretty fast. Yeah, yeah. I got to, you know, it, it was, um, you know, I've been really fortunate with that. I've been, I've been, I've always made it a point to work with people much better than myself. That's a really smart way to approach it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really, I, I realized early on that that's a good way to get better. I'm competitive by nature, and uh-huh. that's a good way. That's a, I think, a healthy way of using, yeah, using that kind of energy, um, is is to sort of make, yeah, make it a point. So when I kind of figured out there, and you know, who who are the people to really play with, not only well. Kick my butt, but also that you know really had a we had something together. Um, then that that sort of ventured into the Dutch improvised scene because yeah. for me, um, 
that's some of the best musicians in the Netherlands. And and a lot a lot of musicians go back and forth. Like, you know, mm-hmm. they're um and so when I formed my first real band, as I put it, because in a sense of really having a, a real musical sort of conceptual idea and, and um and beginning to experiment some things which sort of led to what I do now. Um, yeah, I tended to use musicians kind of from that sort of traverse both. But was there any part of you as an African-American woman from New York who started mm-hmm. out in the black clubs in Brooklyn, was mm-hmm. there any part of you that felt uneasy at all about playing jazz with a bunch of Dutch people? Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. First when yeah. I, yeah. in the, when I was doing more straight mainstream, yeah, because you know, it did feel different, not straight up. It did feel different. And I don't know if it's necessarily because I just think it's a cultural difference uh-huh. of dealing with the, with the music. But, um, but, how can I put it? Um, I, for me, I, there was something I started to notice, which I had a little bit of a problem with. Um, there were a lot of American musicians that would move to not just the Netherlands, but other parts of Europe as well. And they kind of wanted to, they kind of had a sort of idea that they were kind of the kings of the music. And mm-hmm. that the way they played was um, was the way everybody else should play Mm-hmm. And if people didn't play like that, then it wasn't okay. And I kind of had that attitude at first, like sure. you know, like these people aren't sort of up to a certain snub, you know, they don't swing a certain way, all this kind of stuff. But uh, at a certain point, I also realized that you know I'm li- I'm living here now, so I'm also taking in all the information yeah, of yeah. this environment, and I'm not being honest if I'm not you know sort of channeling that somehow yeah. because um, it's legitimate. You know, I have a little bit of an issue when people go somewhere for two weeks and decide, okay, I'm going to write a project on right. a certain place that I have a really, a, really a big problem with. But I was living there eight years. That's yeah. a long it's time. There's a lot of tulips to watch. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's a long time that I've taken in the environment yeah. that I'm in. So at a certain point, I really got involved with just sort of writing and 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 uh, or approaching music that sort of came out of the entire space and not just the traditional jazz mm-hmm. space. So and that seemed like an that seemed very natural and I have to I'll have to why wasn't such an issue or like sort of a kind of philosophical issue is because I made a decision um, which is one thing we didn't cover but when I did make the decision to become a musician one of the things I realized early on was that music is the guide and not me uh-huh. so um, if something is compelling in music and it's leading me a certain direction if I'm in tune to it, not I'm not always, but if I'm in tune to it, I try to go in that direction, regardless if it's something I'm comfortable with mm-hmm. or not. And because I've realized that when I do that, it tends to be things tend to work out in an amazing yeah. way, in a sense of just uh, going into something that I might never have gone into. Right. Instead of so, I try so when when the idea came, okay, to sort of infuse all these other ideas. And it was a moment when I was dealing with a lot. I was singing, I was learning a lot about the blues, while at the same time I was learning a lot about people like Dolphy and mm-hmm. and um, 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 and Ornette Coleman and uh, Jackie McLean, and, and while at the same time listening to a lot of modern classes. So there was all these things coming together, mm-hmm. sound-wise, and while at the same time learning more about the D- Dutch improvised scene and checking out those concerts, because I was just a 10-minute bike ride from the BIM house. Yeah. Um, so you were going to the BIM house. I was going to the BIM house a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, checking out all kinds of different sounds and just starting to get to know people in yeah. those uh, in those scenes more. 
And um, and so that's where the music was guiding me. So that's it. Just felt and it just felt organic. It felt good. It felt and that's what sort of led me to want to improvise as a vocalist. I started to realize that this is something I actually want to do. Yeah. Not as a as a vocalist and incorporate it in the music that I'm writing and performing somehow. Right. Yeah. yeah. Did um and how much of your how much of your thoughts or, or concept were were you thinking about using text, using words, or was it pure yeah. sound? No, I was thinking about using words. I thought I thought that's the thing was as amazing as a vocalist because as an improvising vocalist, that gives a vocalist great power because mm-hmm. the moment I want my message to be crystal clear, I can use words. Yeah. And, or, or if I just, or I could just exp- improvise with words because that generates other sounds as well. Uh-huh. Sometimes I just use words to generate sounds. I mean, words are just sounds. Yeah. You know, organized sounds. So. But again, I think words are tough for people. I mean, words are, you know, just like I was saying, I think there's like, you know, it's, I can't imagine, I mean, I don't sing in front of anyone, even at home, <laughs> you know, even when I'm, you know. Um, but then, you know, when you put something in words, you are making it as, crystal clear as possible which is great but it's also like you're kind of committing to an idea and oh, people right. will then say wow that was really dumb or that right. was you know right. really right. profound or that right. was you know any version of that right well right yeah you you it's more confrontational but yeah. it's a great tool to have mm-hmm. i mean that that's how i see it i mean there's things i write that have no words at all yeah and there's things i write that you know that do or there's things i write that have words that are composed into the piece or just words that are just improvised the words that are always part of the people, they're, they're going to be improvised every single time, depending yeah. on what's going on musically around the word. So um, I really see words, maybe just, I see words as a tool. That sounds trite, but I do. No, it's true. It's, yeah. it's... And as an improviser, I think it's an, inc- an incredible, po- incredibly powerful tool to have. Yeah. It's, I mean, um, it's a whole other palette. And, and and a lot of instrumental improvisers use their voices. You yeah. Know? Um, maybe they don't use words, but they definitely feel a connection to use their vocal instruments mm-hmm. to express something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just the voice just connects to, you know, just makes, just connects to the whole idea of being human. That's, you hear another voice. Um, it's just kind of a, I've never been really stranded in a place where, where there was no human activity around me. I really would love to experience that. And not, what do you mean like, like, you like, like being in a desert or being, right. be, be in a space where you're completely alone um, with no other, which, you know, they say, uh, you know, that we would actually die as an, an individual human would die without any physical human contact with for a few days. Right. I don't know. Well, that's what they say. Like a few really. days, no human with, contact with, with, uh, with no water. Oh, with no with water, no water yeah, yeah, and no yeah, human yeah. contact. No, no, like that you can, you, you won't, we won't live very long. Yeah. But I still kind of would, I'm kind of curious to experience being in a, being in a space where you don't hear any other voice for a long time sounds like heaven. <laughs> <laughs> we think so, right? I do think. But then, so. the, but then, I, but then, what I would be curious about is that the moment I do hear a voice, what, what would the response be? Shut up! No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No? I mean, I feel like, like, have you ever done like an artist residency or anything? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's kind of like dipping your toe into that world, or. Yeah, but it's not the same as sort of, um, you know, you always hear sounds around you. Like, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm trying to, I mean, not to do like a, like what did Paulino Oliveris with the cistern was sort of really deep. 
Um, I don't oh, know if right. I want to do that. But but what I did do once, which is kind of the opposite, was to like sort of sing around a Richard Serra um, sculptures. Where at the DAB can? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's actually a fun thing to do when people don't, and people you know like because have you been have you been to that room many many times? Yeah, yeah, it's one of my favorite places in the whole world. Yeah, it's so amazing. And then just to kind of make sound in there, like and try to find a space where people don't really see who's making the sound. Yeah, it's incredible. What, yeah, the yeah. sound that, that comes out. So I just so. so I just the uh, human voice is such a powerful um, trigger, and you know not only instrument, but also a trigger for all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So I think it's um, I think it's a great. So I I I guess I'm saying well to say that I, I I relish the fact that I can use my voice. Yeah. As as well as all the other components that every other musician yeah, uses yeah, yeah. of us. So you were in Amsterdam for eight years. Yeah. yeah. And and it sounds like you had a good thing going. Yeah. So why'd yeah. you? Yeah. Why'd you bring it back? Did you go straight back to New York? Yeah. It was yeah. yes, and that kind of happened. Um, I wasn't really intending to come back, and my my husband's Dutch, uh-huh. and we came here. I came here in two thousand to record. I guess my second record for a label, a Dutch label called Timeless. Um, and I came here to record it with a with basically an American rhythm section. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I bought my the, the guitarist Dutch guitarist I was using a lot of the time. His name is Anton. Kausman, great guitarist. And um and when we were here we just started my husband started, he's like, you know, maybe we should come back. And the there was a lot of great things about living in the Netherlands, but one of the things that was a bit problematic which I felt certainly in the music scene, but in general I think is pretty much part of that society. It's pretty chauvinistic. Mm-hmm. So, um I felt like it was really hard to make track like, you know, I was at a certain I was at like a plateau. And it was very hard to make traction. You know, I mean, I was putting out records. I was getting really good response, but very little press. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it was hard to get press. And even even after I left the Netherlands and moved and and uh, started working with Misha Moore, and I even tour I toured with ICP. Um, mm-hmm. And I we did a big concert in the in the Netherlands, which in the Bim House. You know, ICP, no press. Mm. Which is which is yeah, which is not. I mean, so those so so I sort of I sort of, I basically decided that you know I might as well try my own luck in my own country. You know, yeah. in terms of but the chauvinism. I mean, that's not just the Netherlands. Like no. how how is it any worse or different there than it is here? Which... Well, I th- I mean I think if I think if you are a a musician from another country and you come here and you you do well, you will get somewhere here. Yeah. Yeah, I do yeah. think that. I yeah. think in the Netherlands, it's. I mean, it wasn't a lot of um, foreign musicians felt like this. Mm-hmm. And I'm always the kind of person where I kind of just, well, let me see if it's really true or not. And uh, and I mean, I had. I mean, I had great support. I mean, the guy who booked the uh, Poop Fun Rio who books the Bim House, he was extremely supportive. Um, to this day, mm-hmm. um, I mean, he's leaving now, but. And uh, and then my connect, you know, getting to know Misha and starting to get to know the people. And that scene um, has been really helpful, like since I've been gone. But in terms of really feeling like the scene sort of respects my just respected what I did or my contribution, mm-hmm. no. Yeah. And in that sense, that was it was it was good to move back because. Mm-hmm. And the other thing was, I kind of felt I, sort of when I figured out musically, have started to have a better idea what I, what I wanted to go for as a vocalist, which was more experiment with. 
stranger forms or, mm-hmm. or and 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 original music and develop a band sound and a band concept where we're all sort of one unit and and the roles can be interchanged um i kind of realized that uh um first of all i was not going to find the musicians that i wanted to do that work with I was not going to really find them in the Netherlands. Yeah. Are we running out of time? No, 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 okay. no, no. I just, okay. I'm always, I, I, just every few minutes I'll check to make sure it hasn't stopped. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I, there was there was that. And, and there was also a feeling that um, here and just, in general, I found jazz vocals pretty um, way behind the times in yeah. terms of, in terms of coming up to instrumental jazz, in terms of conceptual ideas, yeah, yeah, that has changed so much. Yeah, it has. Thank goodness. Oh my goodness, that has changed so much. Yeah. But at the time, it was it was pretty. Uh, it's a dearth. Yeah. Of interesting, in my mind, interesting vocal concepts within jazz. I yeah. Mean, there was a lot of stuff going on outside of it. So, um, and I felt coming back here, it would be a good. It would be good to make us try to make a splash in that direction. What year was that? that? This is 2003. Okay. Yeah. And there weren't that many... I mean, there were people doing stuff, but not like it is now. You not think it's better now? Oh, yeah. In terms For of in, in terms In terms of vocalists sort of doing more interesting projects, uh-huh. interesting work, and sort of definitely thinking out the box, oh, yeah, it's much better now. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you came back in 2003. Did you have people in place here, or were you like starting fresh? Starting fresh, Jesus yes. Christ. But I had a record to... to, to I, I recorded a live record in the Netherlands called Lazy O Sun. Yeah. Um, and that I had that to release. So that was, the idea was to release it here and kind of, kind of, because we didn't know, also, I wasn't really sure where the music would land here. I mean, I hadn't lived here mm-hmm. in a long time. And um, and that was a record, sort of a combination of original music, of some covers, and weird jazz, jazz uh, music out of jazz can, like, you know, a, um, a Jackie McLean tune, a Sonny Rollins tune, and um, and Laura. I mean, that was like the yeah. only sort of standard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. <laughs> you know, it was kind of very... So we were like, where is this going to land? So we kind of, um, you know, we hired a publicist and um, started a label, hired a publicist. It's kind of just... You started a label? Like, yeah, yeah, called Green Avenue Music. Okay. That was the first record yeah. on Green Avenue Music. And um, and just kind of to see where, where it landed. And that sort of gave some insight. And, and then in the meantime, just figure out the right musicians to start which became what became the favorite Victor Ensemble. Yeah, I mean, how did yeah. you first meet these people? Well, actually, Ken Filiano, I had heard live um, uh-huh. a couple of times, and I really liked Ken. Such a nice guy. Yeah, he's such a sweetheart. Yeah. And an amazing, I think an amazing musician. And I had heard him, and um, and I liked him. And I had had another band at first, but that really didn't work, and that was a kind of... I let everybody go like within a year. It just wasn't yeah. wasn't the right. But you know, it's always like that. When you try, I think when you're trying for something new, you kind of it's kind of hit or miss as to how absolutely you know how yeah, you figure yeah, out yeah. how it lands. So um, so the second incarnation was was Ken, and then um, he had suggested a guitarist named uh, no, actually no, Steve Swell actually oh. suggested yeah, Steve Swell suggested a guitarist named Anders Nilsson. I know I played with him a million years ago. Oh, Anders. Or, yeah. or, or that's funny. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and uh and I checked out Anders and then the funny thing was Anders and Ken had a duo concert. Okay. They just happened to have a duo concert so um and not either one not knowing about the other and uh, so I went to hear them and they had a great connection so I thought this is great and then Ken they both agreed to be part of the band and then Ken suggested the drummer. Had a drummer for a while his name was Michael T A Thompson. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 
And that's how that band formed. And then they, and I had a residency at Old Freddy's. Like Freddy's I had Back a, Room. Yeah, Freddy's yeah. Back Room. I had a, like, a, I got a residency for like a year, and that's what I used to kind of develop the band and be, you know, and we would rehearse on the side and just. Sure, sure, sure. When you were playing once a week, once a month? Once, once a month. And then we'd have, a, we'd have like a rehearsal in between, and, you know, we just sort of work out yeah. these ideas. Yeah. Do people, still, I feel like that's like the classic way in New York City jazz to get a band to where it needs to be. But do people yeah. still do that? I don't know, but I, 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 I love that. You know, the, the last time I did something similar to that was um, we the last record we made was Absent of a Mooth in 2013. And right mm-hmm. before we went into the studio, I had I-Beam, for, I had I-Beam every, every weekend. For how long? I had it for a month. Uh-huh. And then I had, um, and then we also had a gig at BAM Cafe. We had like, I mean, we, we had like six gigs leading up to the, to, to the recording, which was something I've been dying, like trying uh-huh. to do forever, you know. And, and how'd the recording come out? Oh, great. Because yeah. you done every, everything just flows because you've yeah, just yeah, been yeah. digging in on a regular basis. So I, I love to develop like that. Yeah. And I like to develop when, you know, what's a good, good enough point when you have like an audience that can then give you some feedback. I, li- I don't like feedback too. You do, yeah, yeah. I just so people are really uh, cagey about that. I like feedback. I mean, I don't want feedback the moment I write something. Yeah, want, you know, I want to kind of get a sense. Okay, this is what I'm really trying to say. But once it's sort of crystallized for myself, and I let it, and I give it a public hearing, I want feedback about it. I want to know. For me, it's really important what I what I'm what I write communicates. Yeah, I may not communicate exactly, but it, that, that something comes at you. Uh huh. Um, that's really important. So if 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 people are indifferent, or people are like, oh, I want to know. Yeah. yeah, well, you can generally get a feel for that too. Yeah, if, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I had I had an experience the other day where I uh, guest hosted a radio program, and I was asked to bring some of my own stuff to play. So I brought a couple of things that I'm working on that the only person who's heard them is me. And I didn't realize until I hit play and I was listening to it over the like the playback from the. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow, I'm hearing this completely differently now that it's like a public thing and it totally I, I was like I know exactly what I need to do to fix this right. <laughs> <laughs> like that's you know this part right here is really taking too long you know I yeah. got it you know yeah. it's interesting when you externalize stuff yeah yeah and you start to hear it and then you and also when people give feedback but also when you hear it back it's true you kind of realize mm, that's a little little much yeah yeah or, or, a little, or too little sometimes yeah sometimes you write a part and you think actually that could be more there can be more of it why is it so mm-hmm. actually stronger than i maybe thought and the other part that i thought was that strong yes yeah. it's, it's not did you get involved pretty quickly with like patricia and william and the arts for art people or well when i when i sort of got back and settled sort of settled in it seemed that um the downtown scene was my scene Where you'd and, be. <laughs> yes right? kind of just sort of worked out like jazz at lincoln center was probably not going to be my home base did you were you kind of looking to that as no, no i know right. i would I, I i knew that i was not doing stand and i knew i mean even for europe uh i was not doing um st- sort of standard fare and so i um and i realized coming back here would be i knew i knew that i like i just i didn't know exactly what venues yet but i mm-hmm. definitely know i wasn't in the scene but um the the one one interesting thing that I have to say I really liked in the beginning of this process of sort of singing in a different way the interesting thing what a lot of people assume as singers is that um, even in a venue the nice thing about the a place like the Netherlands or Germany or France is they have sort of designated venues for certain kinds of music mm-hmm. um, which I kind of like because you kind of know especially if you're trying to book gigs you kind of know okay when this country 
these are the venues for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because the programming is pretty consistent. And um, in the Netherlands, that seems to break down along subsidized lines. So the clubs that that tend to have more experimental music, like a BIM house, get subsidy. So when mm-hmm. you perform at those gigs, um, you always pay, you're always paid a decent fee, mm-hmm. whether three people show up or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or 600 people show up. Um, but those gigs tend to also, because of the nature of the programming, they don't tend to hire many vocalists. They don't have tend to program any vocalists unless the right. vocalist is very famous, like a Cassandra Wilson, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or something like that. So um, when I figured that out, and I was when I was still living there, I tried to I made it a point to try to get those gigs because um, also those are the venues that seem to get the most get the most press, mm-hmm. the press values in the Netherlands. Um, being a mainstream vocalist or mainstream musician does not is not valued as artistically interesting. Huh. So what's, what's more valued is the more experimental music you do, okay. writing, composition, which in the New York scene actually has kind of become more and more the same. But that's how it was. So, and those are the people that tend to get the more, you know, those those experimental gigs and people they're desired because, you know, make you don't have to worry. You, make, yeah. you don't have to worry about about about, about the bread. But the interesting thing was um, because those venues hardly book singers. When they did book a singer, people would show up to those gigs because it was a singer, assuming huh. a certain kind of program. Okay. So what had what was starting to happen, which I which was really really interesting, um, and it really happened. Uh, I think the first time I did a big concert at Bim House, it happened as well. Was that um, people were coming expecting? And certainly, because I'm an African American vocalist, there's a real real definite expectation mm-hmm. that the music is gonna be a certain way and they come and they don't get that and and uh and no nobody stormed out but yeah. it, what what it did cause was a lot of discussion and a lot of curiosity That's and good. a lot yeah which yeah, i thought yeah, was yeah. great and uh sometimes a lot of you know a lot of annoyance too like why isn't why can't you do it the way way so-and-so did it sure. or, or why can't you do it like that? i'm like no, i'm not trying to do that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um but it's and and it was a it was a really interesting thing to discover how uncomfortable that made people and how much I like that uh-huh. how much I <laughs> making people uncomfortable in that way yeah that to start to question um, what is this and why is this and you know and in some cases they, people liked it some cases they didn't it yeah. didn't matter but right, right 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 but but some cases they liked it and they couldn't understand why which is also interesting too yeah 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 there's I think. Can I say this? Like when you go to another country, you go to another culture, and whatever the difference might be, whether it's because you're black or because you're a Jewish person, there things kind of begin to reveal themselves oh, yeah. pretty quickly about what people's expectations are, what people's you know, in a way that is I think less it's it's a little more hidden here. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We do a better job of of sort of like obscuring our racism here. Yeah. We, actually no, we don't. I take that back. It's pretty it's pretty well, out lately, the open now. Lately it's, it's been pretty <laughs> blatant but yeah but yeah. I, which which is one of the things i liked about you because you know there people's racism was pretty pretty in your face yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard some crazy shit over oh there. i mean unbe- <laughs> unbelievable but you know like i got the assumption was always that you know i can sing gospel like i love that one like and, and you know like i'm a gospel singer or i could be a gospel huh. singer because yeah that's that's a big that's a biggest <sighs> and i didn't grow up in a gospel church at all like i mean yeah right 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 I, I mean, I grew up as a Christian scientist. Man, that was the religion. really yeah, not Scientology, but I grew but Christian up as a scientist. Yeah, you didn't go to the doctor. Well, well, had, my, my mother took us to the doctor. <laughs> my grandmother had she had her way. You yeah, have, yeah. So, 
So we grew up Christian scientists. So it's huh. like, which is about as far as far from the absolutely. Baptist Pentecostal tradition as you can get. Wait, was there a, was there a big community of of West African Christian Scientologists in Long Island? Um, West African? No. No, uh, sorry, 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 sorry. West sorry. Indian. West Indian. <laughs> Indian. Sorry, sorry. Well, the funny thing is, not as far as I know. I, you know, the funny. Even in Trinidad, when we used to go to church, the church was predominantly white. You yeah. know, I mean, I have like pictures of of my of my Sunday school, and, and I mean, I, th- I think maybe forty percent. I mean, but Trinidad is predominantly black, or right. or at least a, a country predominantly people of color. Yeah. So even then, it was uh, the church was was predominantly white. Right. Which is which is a good indication of uh, of the church. <laughs> so, so are, I mean, are you still releasing music on your own label? Yes, although I haven't, we we haven't in a while. My husband released something of his own pro- of a project of his, I guess, in twenty fourteen. Uh huh. And the last uh, Faye Victor Ensemble record was on was out in twenty thirteen. Yeah. So it's been a while. So it's been a while. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I'm bringing out so, and I'm gonna be out on a bunch of stuff. It's not gonna be out on my label, but I'm bringing out. Uh, I have a project that's really dear to my heart is um Herbie Nichols mm-hmm. project, and if I don't get a label, it will be on my label. But yeah. I think I'll be able to get a label who's, who's is that the same is that ken and anders playing? oh no no it's a different group altogether no yeah. it's and this was actually recorded this was actually recorded like last year and live at the bim house one of yeah. the concert at the bim house and uh and the loft in cologne with uh with the group from from europe they're both based in berlin uh-huh one guy is a member of the icp his name is um Tobias Dalius? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's also a clarinet player. Yeah, yeah right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know him, but I'm, you know, I'm certainly aware of him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think he's great. And uh, Achim Kaufman on piano. Oh, he's great. Yeah. 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 And and you put that project together? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's my project. And, and uh, Achim and I have been playing. Um, Achim is also a Nichols uh, devotee of sorts. Uh-huh. And uh, we've been getting together a god since, uh, I guess, since 20, I think it's 2012, 2013. Yeah. And uh, and working out some ideas, and and then I came back and had a quintet here, and I still have. We just performed, actually, on the um, sounded out series. Oh, at um, Greenwich at the, at the Greenwich House. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. We performed just a few weeks ago. How was it? It was great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I really I love that music, and I like that project because we really take it into take his music into uh, great improvisational territory. Yeah, well, I mean, what about that music? Is it that that sort of speaks to you? Oh my God! Um, the compositions, the melodies, uh-huh. the harmonic uh, connection to the melodies, the the combination of for me, because also Herbie Nichols was half half Trinidadian as well. Right. The combination, and for me, it feels really Caribbean in that sort of combination of being intellectually serious but not taking yourself too seriously at the same time. Yeah, I mean, does yeah. the biography aspect of of songs and of musicians like how much does that make you want to sort of <coughs> explore um, stuff on a deeper level well it, it not necessarily it doesn't yeah. really i mean you know i i'm a huge fan of felonious monk and i discovered monk when i just started singing like i, I don't know when i was still listening to people like ella and louise mm-hmm. more or less exclusively is when i discovered monk and and I fell in love with him at that moment. I think I heard a record of him playing around midnight. Mm-hmm. And it's just something really resonated from that moment with him. And I don't, I, can, I cannot explain it. Yeah, I mean, now I've sort of analyzed his music more and go into that, but it has nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a very 
I think what is this is a very interesting connection to rhythm that I that just resonates with me. Mm-hmm. And um and many years later I discovered that he grew up in the community he grew up with in in New York City was a Caribbean community and Thelonies? Yeah. Really? He, yeah, he's not he's not from the Caribbean. Right, I think he's from Harlem, wasn't he? Well, he yeah, but he lived on a like sixty third street, so not he lived okay. he lived in the area which is now Lincoln Center. Right, 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 right. And that was a predominantly Caribbean community. And I mean, there's even documentaries about this, or there's, there's even in the book uh, Robin G. Keller talks about this. Yeah. Um. So he, he's actually one of the reasons he plays piano at all because within within the Caribbean community, you have to do something. Like as a kid, you cannot like you just you sit around to, and no, stare at the wall. To, you have to do something. So yeah. Um. So that was one of the reasons he he studied piano to begin with. So yeah. he so it's so and and he listened to a lot of calypso. He knew a lot of the music. So. Uh-huh. When when I when that realization, so I realized what was the what was the connection, why he resonated so deeply, because of that sense that sort of I can't it's hard it's really hard to articulate. No, no, it's but it's just a um, yeah. And 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 so so when I heard Nichols for the first time, um, without even knowing anything about where Nichols was from, that same sensation was there too. Yeah. And then when I when it when it came, when it would reveal itself later on, it was just kind of a. It was a strange and beautiful coincidence, but it also it felt like I knew it all. It's hard to explain it. It's like you know, I feel like you know something, yeah, but you just don't know how you know it. Sure, yeah, you know absolutely, it. yeah, yeah. That's something that that I think about quite a bit, and you know, I've heard plenty of music in my life that you know has then gone on to be very important to me. Whether it's just something that felt very familiar but foreign about right. it, and it, right. you know, trying to understand the music better kind of helps me understand myself better, yeah. and. Certainly, there are composers who I'm drawn to, um, and instrumentalists who I'm drawn to, um, for much more than just the music. There's something right. like I I can hear that we're somehow related. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. There's yeah. like sort of a philosophical uh, thread that's that that's unspoken somehow, but it's just yeah. there. And I think that's what, what it was with Misha too, because Misha had that same. Um, yeah, I mean, Misha culturally is sort of like really different, but but. There is a very um, sort of, a, I guess, a, a sort of an attraction to the subversive, and and, yeah. and 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 a desire to not ever try to conform in any way. And, and Misha was, <laughs> Misha was a master at that. I yeah. mean, for me, like, like, and and so honest. That was the other thing. I'm just somebody just so completely honest. Are you still in touch with the ICP people? Do you guys? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, I was just in Vancouver and uh-huh. um, our bars. Yeah, he played with uh, he played there where he has a quartet with uh, Ingrid Lobrock and uh-huh. Tom Rainey and and his wife Ich Hennemann. Right, and they they played and so we got to see up and we talked a little bit about Misha and then I'll be I'm be in the Netherlands in September so I'm hoping to go. So see the Netherlands are still much very much part of your. Yeah, yeah, my husband's Dutch, yeah. and um, and I still have a lot of good friends there and close friends and I mean and family there as well. So do you um, like the food? Dutch food? Yeah, no. No, it's terrible. It sounds like the but there's worst. good Indonesian food over there. There's great Indonesian food. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I, I do like uh, I do like the harding though. I do like the, the what is it? The broja harding, you know, with the 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 fish. Yeah, 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 yeah. With the, with the onions. Oh, and the, the, the the herring. Herring. Yeah, but they they call it harding. So right, right, yeah. yeah. The, right now is the time of year for it. Yeah, the new catch. Yeah, the, exactly. Yeah. yeah, you know, like the, the new I, harding. I had a piece yeah. the other day. Yeah, where'd you get it? You get it Russian here. Daughters. They do the, Russ and Daughters in the Lower East Side. They bring in the new herring as there's a what? there's a festival tomorrow night called the Herring Pairing, where they do 
yeah, a whole celebration of the Dutch herring. You can oh also get God. it at the Grand Central um, Oyster Bar. Wow, but is it, is it the real thing? It's bro? the real thing. It's it's only for this like three four week period. It's the real thing. I got to tell my husband we should do that tomorrow. Yeah, I no, I I, I that's one of my favorites. You slap it around on the onion and pickle. And yeah, down yeah, the hatch. D- down the hatch. I like it actually as a sandwich. Yeah, like, it's a, a great thing better. for hangover. Yeah, I don't know if you ever if you've ever had a hangover. I've never been hungover my entire life. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, no, the Dutch herring is like yeah, no, that's one that of the great, like. yeah, great, great bites in the world. Yeah, I that I that I I totally love, and I, and they have this other snack called bitterballa. Yeah, which I like. I kind of like that too. Yeah, yeah. Like when you've had a you know dip in mustard, uh huh, and pentacolkin is good. No, the pentacolkin, Panic- pa- the the pancake. Yeah, yeah, the way they do it. Yeah, that's cool. You know, yeah, that's it's, cool. it's all right. I mean, <laughs> but the, yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But like the stomp, do you know like do you know like those dishes? Actually, they do have a dish, but uh-huh. it's not it's not popular. It's a um, I think it's from Limburg, and Limburg is like in the south, right? Um, it's actually where Maastricht is. You know, Maastricht. Huh. Maastricht is a really nice city. It has hills. Okay. In in the Netherlands, um, and there's a dish called Zerflees, which is sort of Ooh. sour meat. I don't oh. know. Do you eat meat? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, it's close. Yeah, it's and it's like uh, it's amazing. They make it with this sort of like um, it's a combination of like vinegar. Uh huh. And uh, and this there's a Dutch like a breakfast cake called uh, on by cook. It's like a um, it's sort of like like what we call like a fruit roll yeah, 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 yeah. kind of idea. Uh-huh. And you kind of use that in combination. It's sort of so sweet, sour. Um, marinated and that's amazing that's amazing Caribbean food has some pretty funky elements to it I love Caribbean food I yeah. mean I like Trin food do you, food you like shark bake yeah bacon shark let me kidding yeah I yeah. love that I love shark <laughs> I like it, it, it I, I try. I knew what I was getting into and I tried it and it weirded me out a little bit but you're kind of like chewing part of the spine no yeah but it's a, it's cartilage because yeah. shark has no bones because I, I I was always afraid of fish bones so yeah, yeah, yeah. I like shark because it's no fear of where do you get a good one in New York a good shark bake? Yeah. I bought it off. I don't of- buy it. I don't buy it in New no. York. There's a place in, um, on Nostrum, so it's a doubles place. But yeah. I think they have shark there too. But I I don't really buy it. I only only people make it for me. I yeah. It. Yeah. Honestly. What about oxtails? Oh, yeah. I yeah. love oxtails. I love oxtails. Yeah. And roti and all that roti, stuff. Roti. Oh. And I can, I mean, I can't make roti, but I can make curry and I can, yeah. I can cook all that. So stew chicken. Really good food. And, yeah. No, curry so food is like. The best. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate you everybody. coming over today. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's good talking. Okay. All right, that was Faye Victor. I hope that you guys enjoyed that. I did. If you want to find out more about Faye, go to fayevictor.com. Check her out. Uh, she tends to perform quite a good bit, and if you're interested in, in hearing her in concert, uh, you should have plenty of opportunities to do so fayvictor.com go to the 5049 website uh, I've been uploading all the past episodes and there's some good shit up there stuff that you know hasn't really been available for a while click on the uh, the tab that says podcast archive good shit that's it um, we'll be back next week until then I hope you guys are all doing well you're hanging in and um, I'll talk to you then okay bye